You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the entire land. And three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is my God, my God, why, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they cried out, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a stick and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes down to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee looked after him there and watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. So as we come together, Lord, we, we say this often, Lord, um, speak to us. Your servants are listening. God, help us to hear the words that you have for us this morning and not just hear them, but also believe what you're saying here, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So here's what I'd like to do this morning, Lord willing. I want to kind of talk about the theme of darkness uh, that's in this text, and I think it's kind of a theme that's woven uh, as we look at the last few hours of Jesus' life. And I, I know that sounds dark, right? No pun intended. But I want to sit there for a few minutes and we're going to land on uh, a couple promises or a couple truths that we can see from this text also as we sit and understand the darkness that's going on in this too. As most of you know, um, and I don't know, maybe not all of you, but as most of you know, my my mom is is in a nursing home. Uh, About three years ago, we transitioned her out of her house she was living in and, and put her into an assisted living. My mom is um, suffering from Parkinson's, which is a, um, a pretty horrible disease. It's very slow and deteriorates your physical body. And she just got to a place that she couldn't take care of herself and her house. And so we felt like the best thing for her is to, to, to go to an assisted living at that time. And over these three years, um, her body has continued to, to deteriorate in, in pretty drastic fashion. So much so that in January of 2020, we had to transition her out of, um, she had actually transitioned out of a, um, the assisted living into kind of a, another level of care. And we had to transition her out of that level of care to a nursing facility. And so we did that around January, February of 2020, and then COVID hit in March of 2020. 
And I've seen uh, my mom physical presence in the same room two times in a year. I've touched her once in a year. Most of my visits with my mom over this series of COVID have been uh, basically through a, a window. So I would be outside and she would be up to the, the door there watching. We would try to talk on the phone. It's a little difficult right now because part of the effects of Parkinson's is your voice gets really low. And so the, the ability to kind of hear her talk is really, really hard. And so usually it's a kind of a one-way conversation where I'm just kind of talking about my family, what's going on, uh, telling her about what's going on with our, my life and the craziness that's happened in the midst of this crazy season. Uh, but that lifted uh, to where we can actually now see her in person uh, in March. And so uh, this past Thursday, my brother and I were able to go sit with her in the same room. We still have to keep six feet apart. Um, still at this point, not able to touch her, but hopefully that will be lifted soon. And so um, this past Thursday, we went and spent some time with my mom. And, and some of the things that I've, I've noticed over these uh, few months and visiting with her is like just the deterioration of her cognitive ability and um, notice that, that memory and present tense are, are kind of blending together. And I noticed it a lot on uh, this past visit. Um, she was still convinced that she's in, in her elementary school. She kept talking about going downstairs and showing her her room or showing us her room. And even as I was leaving, she was saying, hey, you, are you going downstairs with me so I can show you what my room looks like? Uh, fortunately, I, she still knows who I am. She still knows who my brother is. I don't know if she knows what time period we're in. And I say that because of some of the questions that she asked me. One of them was this. Uh, she, she said, now, Lyle, I want to ask you something, but you can't get mad at me. So I don't know why parents do that. Maybe it's a little mental note for me as I get older. Let's not ask that question, right? If you're going to say something that's going to make me mad, maybe you shouldn't say it. I don't know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or at least just say it, you know, because when you preface it with, I'm going to make you mad. It's just kind of like, well, I'm already mad. You know, it's like, you didn't even have to say that. Um, but she said, you know, I don't want you to get mad, but I got a question for you. And I said, yeah, sure, mom, whatever you got here. Are you still dating that girl? And I said, no, mom, uh, we're married. Been married for 25 years. I don't think she mentioned Kathy, but she had some girlfriend in mind. And I said, no, I, I, I've been married for 25 years. Things are going well. And then she asked me, are you guys fighting? I said, well, most marriages do, right? So it's like we have our knockdown drag outs, but we still love each other. Amen. We're, we're, we're getting through it. And so uh, that was one that was kind of humorous. Another one that was really funny. And man, I have not laughed so hard in a long time. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. So I usually tell her about what's going on with my boys. And I'll start with the oldest and work our way down. And um, our oldest, obviously, is getting ready to graduate. He graduates college in May. And I'm just kind of sharing with her about that. And then she kind of stopped me and says, hey, did you know that Michael Brown has given me a new nickname? And I was going like, all right, I don't know what this could be because my, my oldest son hasn't seen her in a while. And so I said, yeah, well, I don't know. What's the new nickname? And she said, yeah, he calls me Chicken Butt. <laughs> Oh, man, I literally for like five minutes could not stop laughing. And she actually began to laugh, too. And I said, where in the world do you think he got all these stupid shows that he always watches? So there's some time period that she's remembering my son. And I don't remember remembering him giving her a name Chicken Butt. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's out there. But it's, it's interesting. Um, and even as you feel it right now, it, 
It makes you both like, um, there's laughter that comes, right, with this. Sometimes this, all you can do is just laugh about it. Uh, but at the same time, there's deep sadness. It's really hard. It's really hard to see my mom, who's, who at one time, her mind was bright and sharp. Now is growing dim and dark. And we know this, right? Uh, darkness uh, has a way of disorienting us, doesn't it? Feel that with my mom. And she has real difficulty of knowing what is present reality. It's really fuzzy for her. It's interesting that, um, I mean, I put before you that Matthew goes to great efforts to show us that some of the crucial events of Jesus' death um, was done in the dark. Think about his betrayal. That was done in the dark. You think about the bogus trial that he went through. That was done in the dark. And you notice here in, in, in verse 45 that in, in the midst of uh, him dying, so from 12 to 3 p.m., Jesus is drowning in his own blood. That's what's going on for three hours. And while this is happening, Matthew helps us see that this is all done in darkness. I mean, it says it there in verse 45, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. So even if you can explain this with natural causes, we know that there's a supernatural thing going on here, that this darkness that's happening in the, the brightest spot of the day is happening by God. He is doing this. And we understand from Old Testament prophecy that whenever darkness comes in the day, it's as God's judgment. It's recognized God's displeasure. And so what we, what we see God doing here is a reminder for us as darkness comes on the land, he is judging his son for our sins, not his son's sins. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life. And so he is hanging on that cross, drowning in his blood, enduring the judgment of God for our sins. And in the midst of this darkness, from noon till three is on the land. And not only is there this physical darkness, there's a, another darkness that is being experienced that I would put for, before you that's worse than the physical darkness. And we see this in Jesus' cry in verse 46. So about three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. And I know, man, I'm probably butchering this, but I'm trying to say it with strength because most of us probably have no idea how to say it either. But Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, it's, it's Aramaic. It's interesting. These are the only words that, that Matthew writes in Aramaic. Well, why is that? Well, that's, that's the very words that Jesus would have spoke. It's his language. This is what he grew up speaking. And it's almost like Matthew's saying that this is so sacred, so so important that I want to give it to you in the very 
words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And this means in translation, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or some translations say, why God have you forsaken me? Not once does Jesus answer any of his mockers. Not once does Jesus ever answer any of those that slandered him. And we see this in, the, in this account. If you'd read the verses before this, they, they go up to him and you know, shake their head. Here are you the ones that say you're gonna come and save Israel and rescue us. Well, know what? Rescue yourself. If you really are who you say you are, get down from the cross. And if you would get down from the cross, then we would believe you. Not once does Jesus try to prove himself. Not once does he ever answer his slanderers. But now, feeling the abandoning of God, feeling this this darkness that's, that's coming over his own soul as he takes on the sins of the world. And as a result, there's a, there's a severing between his relationship between his father himself. And, and, and as that's happening, there's a, there's a spiritual darkness that comes on him to where the very first words that come out of his mouth is Psalm 22, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why doesn't he quote Psalm 23 where it promises that in the valley of the shadow of death, I will always be with you. Why doesn't Jesus quote that? I know he knows Psalm 23 as a young boy. He would have memorized the Psalms, all of them in its entirety. So he's, he's got Psalm 23 in the, the memory bank. So, so why not cry that out? Well, I'll tell you why. Because that's not what Jesus was experiencing that moment. What he was experiencing in that moment was the abandonment of God. And so Psalm 22 verse 1 comes to his mind because this is exactly what he's experiencing. I'm feeling forsaken by God. I've done everything you've asked me to do, God. I've been faithful to you. Why are you abandoning me? As one scholar said, Jesus comes not only to give us answers, which he does do that. As we see in John when he says, I am the way the truth, and the life. He also comes asking the same questions that we ask, and that is why. I mean, I've been walking with Jesus since I was seven years old, and I'm telling you what, the number one question that is constantly coming out of my mouth is why? 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 Jesus does not just come giving us answers. He also comes asking our questions. Darkness, way more difficult, um, way more, I mean, I can't even think of all the adjectives up here, hard than physical darkness is coming on Jesus and is this soul darkness, this, this spiritual darkness that he's experiencing on our behalf. One commentator says it like this. Jesus had been pretty much without any human support since his trials, but he had always had the wonderful gift of the Father's presence and the knowledge that he was in the will of God. But now, he doesn't even have or feel that he has the presence of his Father anymore. This is, listen to this, the deepest darkness of all. When God's presence goes, the light goes out. 
Jesus is not only surrounded by outward darkness, he does not inwardly feel God's presence at all. And as it says in Matthew 6, 23, and if the light that is supposed to be in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So as Jesus is dying, darkness on the land and a deep, deep darkness in his soul. A couple months ago, Kathy and I, um, I would say we read a book. Some of you would say, no, you listened to a book, right? Some of you are a little more sticklers about that. So whatever your conscience permits, amen? So as we would say here at Sojourn, but we listened to a book. We did a little weekend trip, 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 trip back in January. Trip, a little trouble talking, right? And uh, we listened to this book called Endurance. I don't know if you guys may read this book before. Any? Awesome. Got one person back there. Esther, I'm with you. All right. Yeah, fascinating book. It's a great book to listen to because it, it is fascinating. So basically, the book is about this guy named Ernest Shackleton, who in 1914 set out to do an exhibition, exhibition where that has never been done up this point, where he was going to sail uh, to the South Pole and, and walk across it. And, and get on the other side of it and take a ship back up. And so uh, this book is, is all about this voyage. And here's kind of a picture of the crew. I think there's another picture of Kevin there. There's the crew that, that, that he put together. And so the plan didn't, had to be abandoned um, because they got to a place within the, um, uh, the, the, the sea where the ice just kind of began to cave in on their ship and they got stuck. And uh, eventually, because the ice moves and stuff like that, it, it eventually crushed the endurance. And so the book primarily is not about obviously getting in that place. It's about them trying to survive and, and get home. And I won't spoil anything for you, but it's fascinating. It's amazing what the human body can endure. And so in this process of trying to survive, I mean, and starvation was horrible. Um, the frigid temperatures that they had to deal with, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, we obviously read this during the winter. And when it was cold, man, I tried to imagine being in like water. <laughs> it's like in a John boat. I mean, I, imagine how small a John boat is. It's kind of like what their little lifeboat was. It's like a think of John boat. I'm like, oh my goodness. And you're trying to go across the Atlantic Ocean. This is... I can't even imagine how difficult and hard it was. But maybe, uh, and I think this is what they would say in this book, is probably the most difficult thing was the darkness that they had experienced. As most of you know, in the South Pole, the sun goes down, listen to this, in mid-May and does not come back up till late July. Total darkness for two and a half months. I mean, I get ticked off when the sun goes down at five. Amen. Anybody else get ticked off? Hallelujah for what we're going through right now. Praise Jesus, right? But I cannot imagine for two and a half months being in complete darkness. One writer kind of commenting about this says this, only those who have experienced it can fully appreciate what it meant to be without the sun day after day and week after week, 
few accustomed to it can fight off its effects altogether. And it has driven some men mad. In such deep darkness, you can't see forward. So you don't know where you're going. You have no direction. You can't even see yourself. You don't even know what you look like. You may as well have no identity. And you can't tell where there's anyone around you, friend or foe. You are isolated. This kind of darkness, it does, it brings kind of a a disorientation in our life. And the Bible also tells us that not only does physical darkness bring this kind of disorientation that we've just talked about here, but also spiritual darkness. And we all know what I'm talking about here. Guys, we're, we're not created to orbit around anything other than God. If we try to put something at the core and the center of our life, even a good thing, we've talked about this before, even a good thing, relationships, a career, whatever, you know, ball team, I, I don't care what it is. There are good things that we put at the core and the center of our lives. And if we make that the center, the, the core of who we are, then listen to me, we are walking in spiritual darkness. And that spiritual darkness is worse than walking in physical darkness, even though you're going to experience some of the same similar effects. You're going to be confused walking around in the fog. You will not have an idea what the purpose and meaning of life. You will not have any kind of direction. You will, you will find yourself isolating yourself from one another. You will find yourself being like just, just internally miserable and asking questions of like, who am I? Right? You will have difficulty even understanding your identity because you are not created to put anything at the core of your being other than God. And as long as you've got something else there, listen, the Bible says you are walking in spiritual darkness. And unless God comes and intervenes, this is where it's taken you. It will destroy your life. In fact, I would put before you it actually might be a lot slower than that. You will slowly disintegrate. You will slowly fall apart because you as a human being are not created to have anything else other than God to be at the center and core of your life. And as long as you bring something else in there, you are walking in spiritual darkness. And that's why Jesus is drowning in his own blood to rescue you from that kind of darkness. I mean, what does Paul say in, Ecclesi uh, in Colossians chapter 1, the first half of verse 13? Look at what he says here talking about what Jesus has done. Jesus has rescued us from the domain of, say it out loud, darkness. So look, look, look. All of us are walking in this apart from the intervention of God. All of us are. Nobody's like, oh, I've got the light. I've figured it out. No, all of us, apart from the grace of God, are walking in spiritual darkness. But God has sent his son to die for us and to rescue us so that we would no longer revolve our lives around something that's going to kill us. How good of a God is that? That as long as you keep this at the center, it's going to destroy you, but I'm going to rescue you from that. I'm going to go and die in your place. 
and rescue you from this domain, this kingdom of darkness. And so the question that you've got to go and ask then to this text, because after Jesus dies, does it work? Does he rescue us from this kingdom of darkness? Does he, does he rescue us from the spiritual darkness that will end in our destruction? And Matthew is going, yep. And I'm going to give you four events to prove it. I mean, look at this, verse 51. Here's the first one. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. Second one, the earthquake and the rocks were split. Their third one is in 52, there were, there were tombs were also open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were, were raised and they came out of the tombs and, and after his resurrection entered the Holy Spirit, a holy city and appeared to many. And then the fourth one there in verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the son of God. Four events that Matthew records for us to show us that it worked. The earthquake, the rock splits. What in the world is going on there? If you see in the Old Testament, anytime the earthquakes and the rocks are splitting, it's an indication of God's mighty intervention in the affairs of the world. What God is doing here is announcing to us that an age has ended. The old age has ended and there's a new one that has begun. It's almost like, I don't know if you guys ever do this with your kids or a friend, when you want to get their attention, you grab their shoulders, right? Like, look at me and stinking eyes, right? I, I usually say it like that, stinking eyes, right? Look at me, dadgum. It's almost like God's doing that and shaking the world. I am beginning something new. I am making all things new and it started right here at the death of Jesus that's the first event to show that it worked. And another one is like we see the dead being raised. Oh my goodness, isn't this crazy? I love this. I mean, I love it when commentators and scholars are going, hey, is this metaphor or is this real? What really happened here? We're not really sure. Not sure if you're taking this literally. I'm going, whatever. Matthew recorded it so it actually happened. People saw people that were once dead walking around in Jerusalem. I don't know. Can you just imagine that? Joseph, you've been dead for 20 years. What in the world, right? I mean, that'd make you cuss probably, right? It's like, what in blankety blanks is going on? This is what's happening here. This, this is what Matthew's trying to help us see, that it's a preview of coming attractions, that the death of Jesus is the key to new life that he's made available to all of us. Not only is it the forgiveness of sins, but he's also enters into new life that starts today when we receive Christ. And he wants us to know that Jesus' death, death is killed, it's done away with. That's what Paul is getting after when he says, the sting of death is gone. Yes, guys, look, yes, we probably will fear death. I mean, when I look at my mom's eyes sometimes, I know she's afraid of dying. I know she is, and there is compassion from God the Father over that. But here's the good news, man. Mom, when you die, you're going to wake up. You're going to see Jesus's face. And you know, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to embrace you and kiss you all over and say, oh, my good and faithful servant. That's what we had to look forward to because of the death of Jesus. And so now we got earthquakes and rocks splitting, dead are raising. This is the big one that I just, man, this is so powerful. The first one that happened was what? The curtain torn. 
And notice how the curtain torn. It, it didn't go from bottom up. It went top down. And this curtain is, is what was used to separate humanity, sinful humanity, from a holy God. There was only one man, one time of the year, who could enter into the Holy of Holies and give a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And now, after the death of Jesus, that curtain is torn by God. That's the point Matthew's trying to make. From top to bottom, it's written in a passive voice. God did this work. You didn't. It wasn't like, you know, the priest came with a pair of scissors. All right, man, I got to make this happen, right? No. God did this, which opened access for all people, which gave us the accessibility to know God, to be with God, to be present with God. That has happened not since the Garden of Eden. When you remember Adam and Eve, when they were cast out of the garden, God sent two angels with swords to guard the entrance back into the garden because they could not be with God anymore. The Holy of Holies, the big fat curtain I talked about, can't be with God. But now all that is done away with. Now all of humanity can live in relationship with God, have access to him, to no longer live in spiritual darkness, but to live in the light of his presence in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And so you want to ask, well, then Matthew, to prove the point it worked, who's the first person that went in? A Gentile. A Gentile. A centurion guard. A murderer. In fact, a murderer of Jesus. And Matthew records for us as he sees how Jesus dies and he hears the words from the cross, truly, this man was a son of God. Now I know what you're thinking or what you're questioning. Is this real? Was this a real confession? Did this really happen? Was he just caught up in the moment. I don't know exactly, but here's what I know. It seems to me at least Matthew is wanting us to see what has happened with the death of Jesus has worked. All are now welcomed into the God's presence through his son, Jesus Christ. You, no matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, have access to God through his son. And I'm proving to you because the first person that walked in was a Gentile, a centurion guard. That his hard heart was melted by what he saw and what he heard. He's the first one to go in. So did it work? Can we be rescued from our own spiritual darkness? Yes. Earthquake, rock split, erased, curtain torn, and the first one to go in was a centurion guard. So here's the first Good news that I want you to hear as a result of what we just talked about. You do not have to walk in darkness. There's a way out. There's a way out. You can know why you're created. You can know what your purpose is in life. You can know what it feels like to walk in the presence of light 
to be in the presence with God himself, to be with him in relationship to him as you were meant to be created. You do not have to walk in darkness. There's a way out and it's through his son, Jesus Christ. As Augustine said so long ago, and I'm kind of paraphrasing it a little bit to kind of fit what I'm trying to get after here, our hearts can find their rest. And I don't think I need to go around and prove to you that your heart is restless. It is. Our hearts can find their rest because now our hearts can find their home in God through Jesus. That's what your heart has been longing for. That's what your heart has been wandering around trying to find. You're trying to find your home and your home is with God. And Jesus has provided a way for you to find that home and be home with him. You do not have to walk in spiritual darkness anymore. There's a way out. Second, good news or truth, whatever you want to tag on here is this. When you walk in darkness, you will never be alone. Well, that sounds like a contradiction, Lyle, because you just told me that I no longer have to walk in spiritual darkness. There's a way out. And now <laughs> you're telling me when you walk in darkness, you will never be alone. They're both true because the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done for us, does not promise that there will be no more darkness in your life. It does not promise that now that you are in Christ, all your days are going to be bright and wonderful and you're going to skip along and sing hallelujah and victory and Jesus all the time. That is not the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is this, that in your darkest moments, and they will come. He is for you, not against you. And he will be with you. And nothing, not even death itself, can separate you from the love of God. That's the promise of the gospel. That whenever darkness comes, and it will, you'll never be alone. You'll never be alone. He is for you. And you can never be separated from his love. I think about my mom. She's in a wheelchair now. And she cannot walk. She has to be lifted up to get into her bed. She has to be lifted up to get out of her bed and put in a wheelchair. She cannot stop herself from shaking. Just sit with that for a moment. She, she physically cannot stop herself from her hands shaking. So therefore she can't feed herself. And Parkinson's has done such Damage to her skeleton, her skeletal structure that she is, she is bent over so much to where her chin rests on her chest. She can't even eat normal food right now. All of her food has to be in a certain consistency so she doesn't 
sucking down her lungs and, and die of pneumonia. And in her darkest moments, and I've heard her say this before, is God mad at me? I've done something wrong. Is there a sin that he's punishing me? Like, what is she doing there? She's crying out the very same words that Jesus cried from the cross. Why? Why? And every single one of us in this room have asked the same questions, haven't we? Why? And I don't try to give my mom simple, trite answers to that very difficult question. But here's what I try to do, and I know I don't do it perfectly. But each time I'm with her, I try to read her a psalm. I try to find a psalm that I know will remind her that, number one, she's forgiven. Not because of her clean record, not because of all the things that she might have done in her 80 years of life, but because of what Jesus did on her behalf. I want her to hear that God is for you, Mom. I know it doesn't feel like it, and he is for you. And not only is he for you, he is with you, with you. And in fact, I would say this, he is suffering also with her. I love how Tish Warren says this in her book on darkness. She says, this story of the gospel is not a mere mantra or a relic of history. It is alive and ongoing the work of Jesus continues even now in our everyday life. So in hardship, we do not look to Jesus solely as one who has been there before, once upon a time in a distant past. No, no, no. We find he is here with us in the present tense. He participates in our suffering. So I don't know where you are today. But my God is telling me that some of us are in deep darkness, man. We're struggling. And we're asking those questions, why? And I'm not here giving you trite answers. But here's what I am saying. This is the promise of the gospel, and this is what we need to hear. He is for you. He is not against you. And he is with you right now. Right now. And there will be nothing that will separate you from his love. That gives me hope. I can hang on to that and get through some really dark seasons. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.